0: You're about to listen to part two of the Madeline Pollard-William Breckenridge Breach of Promise case. If you haven't heard part one, go back and give that a listen and then come back here for part two. When I left off last time, Madeline Pollard had just learned that the man she'd been having an affair with for nearly a decade was secretly married to someone else. And this was after his widow had passed away and had only been dead for less than a year. Madeline thought he had every intention of marrying her, so he really pulled a fast one on her, and that's where we're picking up today. So, William Breckinridge had secretly married a woman from Louisville named Louise Scott Wing, who also happened to be his distant cousin. <sighs> this was a tough pill to swallow for Madeline, not just because, you know, there was another woman... But because Louise was this elegant, classy, 48-year-old woman of very good social standing, her late husband served as the U.S. ambassador to Ecuador. And so I imagine it wasn't just heartbreaking, but probably a little intimidating for Madeline Pollard. So let me read you this, um, this article from the New York Times archives from July 21st, 1893, and it's headlined Colonel Breckinridge's Marriage, a Surprise. Quote, The marriage a few days ago of Congressman W.C.P. Breckinridge and Miss Louise Scott Wing of Louisville has caused considerable surprise here. It was understood among the congressman's friends that he was engaged to Miss Madeline Breckinridge Pollard of Lexington, Kentucky. The engagement was publicly announced there and here. Miss Pollard was employed as a clerk in the Interior Department at Washington. She is well-known in this city, and while on a visit to Charlottesville a week ago in company with the wife of Senator Blackburn, it is said she spoke of her betrothal to Colonel Breckinridge. So, this was a surprise to more than just Madeline. People about town... Assumed that they were getting married. So everyone was really caught off guard. But when Madeline spoke up after this wedding announcement, William Breckenridge acted like he barely knew her and that she was like his stalker. Keep in mind that his new marriage was a scandal in its own right, right? Because he'd been widowed for less than a year when he married Louise. And that was a big no-no. You had to have that mourning period. So he was really not looking very good in the public eye anyway. And on top of all this, there were rumors that Miss Wing had been pregnant too, okay? Because in the months leading up to their marriage, she had been sick, quote-unquote sick, and she had just disappeared for a while. She just went away for a few months. Nobody knows where she was. So people speculated later that maybe he made her get rid of a baby just like he did with Madeline. So this all comes to a head in August of 1893, when Madeline sues William Breckinridge for breach of promise. In that suit, they basically wrote that because in August of the previous year, William had promised to marry Madeline, she had remained single for him, waited for him. Now she wants damages. Basically, for that time she wasted when she could have been looking for a husband or, you know, just carrying on with her life elsewhere. So they were asking $50,000 in damages. Uh, According to my inflation calculator, that's about $1.6 million today. Uh, According to this other podcast I listened to, which I'll mention at the end, this type of lawsuit wasn't uncommon at the time. In fact, it was becoming increasingly common. And it was because, for women, you were so tarnished if a man abandoned you, uh, promised to marry you, and then left you. You were seen as such a bad egg. And typically women would then be hung out to drive financially, um, oftentimes without seeing it coming, that sort of thing. So it was just, how can we let these women get in such dire straits just because of the social norms, right? This case wasn't like the others though, because Madeline had the upper hand in that they had been together for a very long time. And the sheer fact that Breckenridge was a congressman. uh, This was quite scandalous for a politician. He had a lot to lose. So While he had at first been claiming that Madeline was this woman he didn't really know, she was maybe stalking him, he had to change tactics because there were too many witnesses that knew it was more than that. So he stopped denying that they had been together. He admitted that they had a fling, okay, but he said, yeah, only because she's super promiscuous. She has flings with everybody. Once Madeline realizes that one of their tactics is that they're just going to throw out these claims that Madeline is promiscuous, that she might even be a lady of the night, she realized she had to go on the offensive. She had to defend herself. So Madeline sat down and she wrote basically her life story, an account of her life up until that point. And in that story, Breckinridge was the only man she'd ever been with. And she talked about how she was more than just his mistress. They basically lived together some of the time. They very much acted like a couple. She even helped him write his speeches. Okay, so the point was, it wasn't a fling. They were more than lovers. They were companions. They were partners. They were friends, even. In response to that article coming out, William Brackenridge doubles down. He decides to hire a woman to act as a spy. And that woman's name was Jane Armstrong Tucker. And she would tell Madeline that her name was Agnes Parker. So here's how this played out. Madeline was living in a convent in D.C. while all this was going on. And Jane, a.k.a. Agnes, showed up at this convent pretending to be a distraught, down-on-her-luck woman. And they quickly became friends. Although Agnes didn't end up staying at the convent more than a week because she said it was awful there, she managed to make an impression on Madeline in that short time. We know that because they kept in touch afterwards. Madeline confided in Agnes. And every single thing that Madeline told her went straight into the ears of William Breckinridge's lawyers, including who Madeline's lawyers were going to call as witnesses and all of their legal strategies. It's very frustrating. Madeline's lawyers were former Congressman Jerry Wilson and Calderon Carlisle. Uh, Carlisle was a big-time lawyer, apparently from a family of big-time lawyers in Kentucky. But Breckinridge had like 500 lawyers. He had so many lawyers. Um, Benjamin Butterworth was the man in charge, an Ohio man. But the thing that all these lawyers, all William Breckinridge's lawyers agreed on, was that their strategy had to be making Madeline look like a real tramp, right? They had to go on that promiscuity thing and just convince everybody that 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 was all this was. So, as you can imagine, the courtroom was packed, Tons of spectators. Everyone's so curious to see how this played out. Uh, The presiding judge was Judge Bradley, who happened to go to the same church as William Breckinridge. So that's—we're off to a totally fair and impartial trial here. Women were only allowed to be in the courtroom some of the time, okay— Because there would be many moments during testimony that they, you know, would make them clutch their pearls, right? Um, So they were allowed in some of the time, but they would be asked to leave here and there. So, uh, these lawyers. Another one of their strategies, aside from Madeline just being uh, a tramp, was to talk about her family being poor, Which was true. Remember, her dad died, and they had to split up the family. They didn't have the money. Uh, Nancy didn't have the the money to take care of all the kids. They couldn't even afford a proper burial for, for her dad when he passed away. But William Breckinridge's lawyers used poverty as a sort of tactic, as if it somehow indicated that she was a bad person. Like, poverty equals immoral. What a shocking take from a bunch of rich old white men, right? So this kind of led to the idea that she was a gold digger, naturally. Um, Something I loved about the other podcast that covered this is that the attorneys made it seem like a woman could either be, quote, virtuous or adulterous with no nuance in the matter. Meaning uh, the man had no role in this thing and that there were no gray areas. You were either just... A perfect angel or a total um lady of the night so they they also said that madeline was clearly immoral just for filing the lawsuit in the first place you know that a moral woman would have never even aired her grievances like this um to begin with (laughs) so um how dare she speak up The quotes about women and the generalizations they make and the misogyny are all things that you would expect from the time and place. So I'm not even going to read them. I think you get the idea of how this went. It was a lot of sexism, real bad. So, moving on. Uh, There were people who wrote testimonies saying that Madeline had in fact been with other men. It would appear that most of these were just people regurgitating rumors that they had heard about her. However, there were some men there claiming to have had sexual relations with Madeline. Some of them described her as a, quote, woman of the town. That's an old-timey euphemism for sex worker. Uh, One of these guys was a man named W.T. Jones from Lexington. And Jones testified that he had befriended Madeline at one of the schools she went to and that she had told him all about her little arrangement with Mr. Rhodes. And apparently she had called Rhodes a, quote, ignorant old farmer. And apparently she told this Jones guy that she never intended to marry Rhodes, but that she did intend to pay him back. Okay, but he died, right? Um, Another thing that Breckenridge's team focused on was her age. And this is kind of interesting. They argued that Madeline was actually older than she was pretending to be. And that she wasn't some young, innocent schoolgirl, but actually a wise, methodical temptress making a career out of the art of seduction. While Breckenridge's lawyers are busy making Madeline Pollard out to be this poster child of immorality, they painted Breckenridge to be this innocent, noble victim who made a mistake and then paid for it for almost the next decade, living in fear that his mistake, his secret, would be revealed. And they explained, you know, that's why he tolerated her and kept her around for that long is that she was, you know, manipulating him and she would expose him. Now, as you can imagine, the press was all over this. Um, so there were two Madelines in the news. There was the young, naive girl taken advantage of by an older man who pursued her. And there was the vindictive, immoral, strategic man-eater just looking to make a buck and climb the social ladder. To the ladder, Madeline responded, Sure, I always wanted to make something of myself, but I was also fully prepared to do it on my own. I was going to school and planning to be a teacher or a writer. I wasn't planning on relying on Breckenridge, and I was planning on paying back James Rhodes. The problem with this in the late 1890s is that your argument that you were planning on being an independent woman, it isn't believable, it isn't admirable, it isn't acceptable. So she wasn't really appealing to much of an audience in that respect. In fact, they used it against her. They said, look, this diabolical woman doesn't want to stay home and make babies. She wants to work. Who is this woman? To make their point, one of Breckenridge's lawyers read some of Madeline's writing aloud in court, as if to say, see, this woman can't even write. This is, this is terrible, so obviously she's lying about all of this. They would go on to say that her aspirations to work and be a writer and study language, that that was all a sham, because women can't possibly care to learn stuff. That would It's just absurd. So depositions went on for about six weeks, and Madeline did take some L's, okay? So at the beginning, I told you that you, uh, you had to have a man introduce you to the president of the college before you could be admitted, and the man who did that for Madeline was a family friend. Remember the name rankin Rossell? Well, turns out uh, they hooked up a little bit. In fact, they were even engaged. At one point, so Madeline was asked outright okay, you had this relationship with Breckenridge, but you also had this deal with Rhodes that you would eventually marry him and he was paying for your school, but then you were also dating and maybe low key engaged to this third man at the same time. Yeah. And she did admit that that was the case. So um, that was maybe a low point. They did also bring up the children that she had with Breckenridge, and she testified that she gave them up only because he asked her to, and she loved him. And she also, this was in a a really emotional time in in the trial, she was on the stand talking about how she blamed herself for each child's death and that they wouldn't have died if she hadn't given them up, which is just really sad. But the silver lining for Madeline Pollard came in the form of a character witness named Julia Blackburn, uh, who I've mentioned, right? So this is the widow of Luke Pryor Blackburn, a man from Woodford County and former governor of Kentucky. This was really important because Julia was well-liked and she was well-respected. People listened to what she had to say. In fact, women wrote to her after the trial thanking her for her brave testimony. Julia Blackburn was the nail in the coffin for William Breckinridge because Miss Blackburn testified that Breckinridge had told her that he planned to marry Madeline Pollard. When she first said this during the trial, he denied it. He said, No, no, this lady is confused. She must be, you know, hysterical. Women are so confused all the time. But after more questioning, he finally caved. And he was like, oh, yeah, there may have been that one time. I may have said something like that, but I didn't mean it. The trial came to a close in April of 1894, at which time William Breckenridge was 57 years old. I say that because... I, it's easy to forget that he was so much older. It's like crazy to think that this man is pushing 60 and she's, Madeline's like in her early 30s when this is going on. And now the moment of truth. After deliberating for just one hour and 23 minutes, the jury ruled in favor of Madeline Pollard. This is actually incredible when you consider not just the time period, but that the jury was made up of 12 men. But she didn't get her $50,000. Instead, the agreed-upon amount was 15000 which equates to about four hundred and eighty grand today, so still a pretty good chunk of change. However, from what I understand, she never saw a dime of that money. So... Life After the Breckinridge Breach of Promise Trial. The results were kind of mixed for Madeline. She did have some fans. She did have some people in her corner who recognized her bravery and acknowledged the precedent that she had set for women. She was invited to give lectures. According to one Kentucky paper, quote, Women who never took the slightest interest in politics in their lives have become active politicians. We love that. And she did have some gentleman callers, but there was never anything serious. Um, And there was a larger group of people who still just thought that she was exemplary of the kind of woman you didn't want to be. According to the other podcast, which I am going to mention here in a minute, quote, she made families reconsider the idea of sending their daughters away to school for fear that they might similarly fall in love with an older man. That is just such a bummer. Her fancy socialite friends that she had made in DC, they all distanced themselves from her, and unfortunately, so did her own family. So, a while after the trial, she set sail across the pond for Europe. And she settled in London, sharing an apartment with a wealthy Irish widow. They had a good time. They went on trips together to Italy, Egypt, Germany. She came back to the States to visit now and again in the 20s and 30s, before the coming war cut off transatlantic travel. And she made plenty of new friends. Again, lots of artists and writers that she met living in their hip Chelsea neighborhood. to so, Things were good. I mean, I think she ended up kind of where she wanted to be. She never got married. And interestingly, she never changed her name, even though it had sort of become a symbol of the woman scorned or the ruined woman to a lot of people. She carried her name with pride. So what about William Breckinridge? Uh, A lot of people were pretty mad at him after the trial. They protested for him to be kicked out of Congress. People organized groups to campaign against him and try to flip his voter base. Women in Lexington held a picnic for 30,000 people on behalf of his political opponent. The National Christian League for the Promotion of Social Purity even called out to his new wife, asking her to leave him. Which... By the way, if you're looking at this chronologically, Madeline Pollard was 100% pregnant when Breckenridge and Louise Wing got married. So yeah. William Breckinridge did lose his congressional seat, although he only lost by 255 votes, so it was very close. But after that, he never held public office again. He worked some as an editorial writer for the Lexington newspaper his son owned. He had two strokes, and he died in 1904, so just about a decade after the trial. I believe he was the father of five children, not including the ones he made Madeline give up that passed away. Maybe there were more. Who knows? Madeline passed away on December 9th, 1945. And she always told people that she was born in 1866, which meant she would have been 79 at the time of her death. There's actually an amazing amount of information about this story because of the court case and the precedent it set and how scandalous it all was. So if you want to know more, you can just look up Madeline Pollard or Pollard v. Breckinridge, and you'll find all sorts of good stuff, including an illustrated book uh, of the entire trial, Day by Day. There's also a 10-week diary about getting to know Madeline written by Agnes Parker, Breckinridge's spy. There are more articles from the New York Times archives. There's a more modern New York Times article called The Court Case That Inspired the Gilded Ages Me Too Moment. There's a really good article from the Kentucky Historical Society Registry written by Elizabeth DeWolf called More Than a Congressman's Mistress Ambition and Scandal in the Life of Madeline Pollard. The podcast episode I kept mentioning was from the show Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is one of my favorite podcasts. The host, they, their content is just so good, so well researched. Um, and I think the episode was just called Pollard v. Breckenridge or maybe Breach of Promise, something like that. Um, they just came out with it very recently, so you could easily find it. Now, something that happens when you're researching something, uh, you start to get so wrapped up in the details or you go off on these tangents. You know, I start learning about the Stair School, and then I'm like suddenly learning about a World's Fair, and then Um, looking into the history of one of the the characters in the story, you you start to lose sight of the big picture a little bit. And I want to make sure that I didn't do that here. A young woman asked an older man who was married with children for help getting out of this situation that she was in with another way older man. And instead... The older married man took advantage of the young woman, made her his mistress, impregnated her, promised marriage, made her get rid of children, and then he married someone else. That's this story. My very favorite quote in all of the research that I did for this story was from the article by Elizabeth DeWolf, and it's that, quote, men erred, but women sinned so simple, but that's that really sums up what this was all about. Where for men, the transgression is simply a mistake, a temporary lapse in judgment. For that same transgression for a woman, it was a very serious sin, a flaw in their morality, in their character. Folks, we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day or night. And go rate my show on Spotify if you haven't already. Thanks for listening. Take care.